to the church from Jesus. Dear church, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, and that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to the will of the one who sent me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The thief, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to its fullest. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them away from me. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciple. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect in your weakness. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you. And to always until the end of the age. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One, Jesus Christ. That's a, church, that's a letter that Jesus could write to your church. He could write to you personally, and he could make it very personal on how you live and walk. Today, as we communicate about Dear Church, this new sermon series, have you ever thought what would your letter look like if he personally hand-wrote a letter to you? What would it say? What would it say about the church that you go to? What would you would communicate about that church? Even better, what would it say about how you love or how you react to the church in today's world? You know, the Bible tells us that God loved the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, there's this place where it's talking about marriage. Husbands need to obey and, and Christ, and women need to obey their husbands, and all of that works together. And the end result was that Christ says he did certain things, died for you and I as an offering to love to the church. That's what he wants. He wants you to understand he loves the church. He calls himself the bridegroom, and he calls the church the bride. And if he loves the church, why wouldn't you? And we're going through over the next few weeks these letters called Dear Church. And they're letters written to seven churches in the Bible. Here's what our memory verse is going to be. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And this is who Christ is. He is before all things. In him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body and the church. At our church, we are super grateful that our senior pastor at Journey, is his name is Jesus Christ. It's not me, it's not Jeremy, it's not Dustin, it's not Bonesaw, or Jeff Barnett, sorry, we call him Bonesaw from a long time ago. It's not a very Christian name. It's not any of the elders, it's not any of the people that lead the church. It's Jesus. And then all of us submit to him. And that's how we roll at this place, and I believe that's what the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do. We're going through this sermon series called Dear Church, and these are letters to the church. And the question we would be, what would your letter say? What would it say about your relationship with God? What would it say about your relationship to the church? In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the very last book in the Bible, it's a prophetic writing, meaning it was written before the end of time, and it's to teach us about things that are to come. Over the next seven weeks, there's some questions that should be, we should be answering. Have you ever thought in your life, like, is there something missing? Have you ever been to school? This is my specialty because I... Close your ears. I, I missed a few days in, in high school. <laughs> Intentionally, actually. It was intentional. I didn't want to go. And you'd show up for the test that day, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'd know nothing. Because you got to show up to get to understand. 
Have you ever thought about that in your Christian walk? Have you ever woke up and said, how come I don't have what that person next to me has? How come my faith is different? How come my walk is different? How come I'm really not engaging? Here's a question I have. Why is Christianity so hard? And even better, why is sin so easy? Seems like it would be the opposite if I was God. But obviously, when I was God in my own life, it created havoc and got me locked up. So I choose not to do that anymore. I guess the last question I would ask, is this really the walk that I'm supposed to be in? Each and every year as we come to the new year, we challenge ourselves to make uh, declarations or resolutions. And some people are like, oh, I don't ever do them. But they have them in their heart saying, I want to make some changes. The question is, is this really all our faith is ever going to be? Or the question is, is my faith strong enough to help another person come across the finish line or grow in their relationship with God? You know, I was in Mexico and had a great time in Mexico, and one of the pastors was saying that the church is individualized today. It's independent. Christians today are more independent, meaning they're not dependent on the church and God than they ever have been. We are about individualization. We really don't do much together anymore. Besides moving, we do nothing together as a family. If you've ever been at Journey, we've probably moved most of you several times which is great, but there's more to life than just moving a few things of furniture. It's digging into a relationship, having a one-on-one relationship. Back in the old days, and I'm talking like 80s and 70s, anybody been around at those times? Let me see. Back in the 70s and 80s, church used to be different. It used to be your whole social life. Used to relate yourself as a, oh, I go to this church, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm whatever, but I would be related. It was my whole social life. It was my outward being. This was who I was. And it really defined me. And today, not so much. Today, what do we do? We live life alone. We live a life online. We buy online. We do things separately. In my family, I'm just going to confess to my family, does, does anybody in your house have separate rooms? Right? And, and we all go into our own rooms and get our own devices and do things differently and by ourselves, right? We have to turn those items off and come together and have family dinner and fellowship, and we need to do that in church. Has anybody got a remote to the garage? The remote kills your neighborhood because you never see your neighbors. Oh, they're out. Let's get in quickly and get in, lock the door. <laughs> we do things on our own way. We really don't bring God in all of our situations. We call ourselves good Christians, and you probably are, but trust me, we're doing things differently. And then we wonder why, why don't I have that robust, powerful relationship with Jesus Christ? Today, the statistics say from 2016 that Christians, these are good Christians that go to church on a regular basis, spend about 40 hours a year in church, 40 hours. So we have 40 hours to shape your life, shape your children, change everything that's wrong in your life, speak out all the sin, all the demons in 40 hours in this year. 30 years ago, the number was 400 hours. Today in California, if farm service is over 75 minutes, people start to leave. We do a 90-minute service here. We watch people leave every week. And if you leave, it's great. I'm, uh, I'm not daring to convict you a little bit, but on the way out, just know Jesus is watching. <laughs> well, welcome to Journey. We're so happy you're here today. Happy New Year. We're grateful that you're here today. Uh, that really exciting, inspiring message about what God is and what the church is. We are on a mission from God since our backyard to love the world. Love people right where they're at. Look to them face-to-face, mano-a-mano, and say, Jesus loves you, and we want to speak life into you. And we're excited about New Year and some of the new things that are going to be happening in our church. We've been praying about it for a couple years now, and there's going to be great things that are happening. Number one is we are going to invest in you as people. Deeper relationships. Table for 10 is designed for you to meet new people. And like Dustin said, I think he said so eloquently, so that you can get to know lifelong friends. They might be right next to you. And they might not even look like something you, but somebody you might like, but they might turn out to be the most amazing person in your life. 
That's what happens when we, when we, when we meet people. So the first thing is we're going to focus on our deeper relationship. The second thing is we're going to focus on a deeper relationship with God this year. We're going to ask you to press down, press into that relationship, maybe for the first time. So that you can have this right relationship with God. Whatever that looks like. Maybe it's a new relationship. Maybe it's this old, stale, long relationship that you've had that's just kind of grown stagnant. We want to press into that. Real love to God and real love to others will be our focus. There's also two new things that we're going to do in that process. Number one is we have, we've got a discipleship process at this church. And we're really going to be intentional about it this year. Our discipleship process is believe, follow, and disciple. And this year we're going to outline and we're going to have some classes. We've got a book series that we're going to go through so that you can first learn how to believe and what it means to believe. And then we're going to talk about what it looks like to follow. And then that higher end, that, that really deep Christian that wants to really disciple and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The second thing is, is we're going to talk about values. We've been together for eight and a half years now. And over these eight and a half years, there's things that journey really is. And here's the values that we have up here. I guess I should talk about the definition of the values first. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Here's what a value means if you look it up in the dictionary. It says a person's principle or standard of behavior, one's judgment of what is important to their life. And as Journey looks at this, here is what we have in our values. This is what we believe in. Number one, follow Jesus. We got to follow Jesus. No matter what you believe about him, when you follow Jesus, your life gets better. Even if you don't put your faith in Jesus. If you follow his teachings, your life will get better. Number two, love others. Love others deeply, real, authentic love. Number three, lead yourself in faith. Everybody say, lead yourself in faith. I wish I could walk with every one of you Monday through Friday in your faith. It would be fun. Be horrible for me, but it would be fun for you. But I can't. And I do walk with several of you in the church, but it's only me and Jeremy walks with a handful, Dustin walks with a handful, Jeff Barnett and some of the other people, my wife and Janet, we all walk with people, but you have to learn to lead yourself. Did anybody eat on their own today? Did anybody have their wife spoon feed you? Or husband? If you do, you need to see me afterwards. You need to lead yourself in faith. We need to be a team. We need to be a team. We all need to be together and believe in this team philosophy. We need to be accountable. You know, you're only as accountable as you allow yourself to be accountable. We need to be authentic. Anybody like authentic Mexican food? I was in Mexico and we had real tacos. Woo, Jesus. Come on, somebody. There was real tacos there. When you find a real authentic Mexican place, you just like don't tell anybody and you show up three times a week, right? We need to be authentic. You know what? We also need to have healthy families. I don't know what your family situation is. Mine is what it is. Got some health, got some issue, got some struggle. We need to learn to have healthy families and start bridging those gaps so that we can all be in a healthy family. And finally, we need to be kingdom-minded. And you know what Journey's really good at is having fun. Christianity should be fun. I was there, we got a missionary down in Mexico that just left with his family, and he wasn't having fun. And I pulled him aside and I said... Ministry should be fun or you shouldn't be doing it, right? It's not, doesn't mean it's easy, trust me. Death and divorce and struggles, all that, it's hard, but it should be fun as well. And that's what we're doing. These are our values. Today we're going to do a, a, this first letter in, in the book of Revelation. It's the very end, and we're going to talk about this church in Ephesus. And I think it's really critical. There's going to be two parts to this sermon. First of all, we're going to talk about what the book in Revelation says to this church in Ephesus. And then we're going to talk about one of these values that we just talked about and how it connects to the story and how it's a value that we should be focusing on. We look at those seven letters. There are seven churches in Revelation that receive this letter, similar to this letter that I read to you. Didn't have the same things that Jesus said, but we look at them. And here's one of the, here's the, in Revelation chapter 1, we need to read a few verses so that in chapter 2 and 3 make sense. Revelation 1, 3 says, God blesses the ones who read the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to the message and obey what it says, for the time is near. And so at the end of the Bible, in the beginning of Revelation, it says, God blesses those who read this letter. And if you read it and you make it part of your DNA, you become better. You know, me and my sister were in Mexico and at one point, uh, I don't know how it happened. She was doing all the dishes for like 70 people and I was working on some tri-tip that we were having that night. 
And my nephew, Jacob, who lives in Florida now, was there. And he was telling this girl in Spanish how his mom used to read this book to him because of these words. And he's like, I'm like 11 years old, 12 years old. And she's reading this prophetic message over me because of these words. Because she wanted to make sure he was going to be blessed. And he heard these words. We have that same blessing. If we obey these words, we understand them, we listen to them, even if they don't necessarily make sense to them, that's what God wants us to hear. Verse 4 in chapter 1 says, this letter was from John to the seven churches in the providence of Asia. Asia was a Roman providence that is now western Turkey. And so these churches were in that area and it's now western Turkey. So we're going to open up the end of our Bible and we're going to kind of talk a little bit about this church in Ephesus. Now, here's what happens. How does revelation occur? In chapter 1, there's this guy named John. They call him John of Patmos. And he says, because he was preaching the gospel, he was condemned to this island of Patmos. And he was separated and isolated. And here's what it says about this revelation. He says, it was the day of the Lord, similar to today. And he says, I was worshiping in spirit. Wouldn't that be exciting if we as a church worshiped in spirit? And suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And it says, write in a book everything that you see and send it to the seven churches in the city of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Today we're going to talk about that first letter and that first church in Ephesus. Do you know why it's the first, uh, the first uh, letter goes to Ephesus? It happens to be the closest to where, the, where, where Patmos was and where John had the revelation. It's that simple. Ephesus was a prominent city in the Asian providence, which was a Roman providence. It was more powerful than Pergamum politically, meaning it had more political power. And it said it was more favored than Samaria with this imperial cult or with this imperial religion, which means the Roman religion was told everybody had to worship Caesar. The city, Ephesus, was known for widespread sin and sexual immorality. Look at the beauty of this city today. This is, some, uh, this is uh, a few years back and uh, it's a really beautiful area the book uh, the letter written to Ephesus was to warn against false teachers and it was to talk about evil in the world and it was to admonish the church forsaking their first love now here's what I want to do differently if you brought your Bible will you clap a little bit Really soft golf clap, but it seems like a lot more than first service have their Bible. If you have your Bible, will you raise it up? We should start bringing our Bible. You know, and for me, I've been reading my phone recently. I'm on a streak. Mine says I've gotten 52 weeks, actually 53 weeks. And uh, I've been reading it, and I'm on a streak. And here's the thing. My phone has become a place of worship. I can hand you my phone right now, and besides a couple of stupid memes from my friend Dustin about sporting stuff, about the Lakers and the Clippers, most of it's inappropriate. And I'm not afraid to let anybody see my phone. Come see it after church, and I'd love to show you. It's a place. It doesn't have any lock codes on it. This is a place of worship for me. And what we're going to do is everybody stand up. We're going to read from the Word of God, but I'm going to start something new at this church. Because here's the thing, we should start bringing our Bible to church or we should start making our phones holy. Could you imagine if your phone was holy every day of your life? How powerful that would be in your life. And we're going to repeat this verse. If it's your phone, if it's your Bible, if you don't have anything but you just have the bulletin, lift it up and here's, we're going to repeat after me. Ready? This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do all things it says I can do. I believe in all the truth that is within it. And I will let it lead my life every, each day. Let me receive salvation, revelation, and transformation because, because of it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's read from Revelation chapter 2. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is a message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all things you do. I know all the things you do, and I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently endured suffering without me, 
suffered for me without quitting. Sorry. But I have also this complaint against you. But I have this complaint against you that you don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the work that you first did. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from this place and among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Here's the last part. Anyone who hears with ears, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit from the tree of life and the paradise, in the paradise of God. Let's just spend some time in prayer as we start this new year. Father, we come before you and we thank you for all the trials and the blessings and the struggles and the beautiful things that happened in 2018. But Lord, we ask that you write something new within us. Lord, open up our heart to something new. Let the Bible be powerful, more powerful than it's ever been in our life. Let there be salvations in and around our life. Let there be direct quotes and, and oracles and truths from your word called a revelation. And ultimately, Lord, will you transform, transform us by renewing our minds and our souls and the way that we look at the world. We love you, King Jesus, and we ask for you to do powerful things within us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. We make this declaration about the Bible and hopefully today as you've declared it that the word of God will start to look differently in your eyes. At one point when I was locked up, I made a decision that I was going to believe in the Bible. I was going to believe in 100% of the Bible even though I didn't understand half of it. And some of the things I read, I was against. But that doesn't mean that I, didn't, I rejected it. Just like if you're an American citizen and you're one side or the other, it doesn't necessarily mean you believe in everything that the United States is doing. But not very many people get up and leave and go to a third world country. There's a handful of superstars that said they were, but they're still here. So most people don't get up and leave because they don't believe in everything. And that's what we need to do with the Word of God. We need to open it up and let it be part of our daily life. And over time, more is revealed. When you open yourself up to God and you let the Word of God become part of your life, over time, you start to understand and reveal and things make sense. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's seven letters to the churches. And as you look at these churches, you see that the cities and the characteristics of the cities start to impact the church. This reminds us how easily culture destroys the church if we don't stop that. You know that the church is being uh, choked out by the culture of the United States today? The culture, whatever we believe in, one side or the other aisle, the culture of the United States is choking out the kingdom of God and choking out the movement of Christianity. And we as a community need to stop that to happen. And if we can't do it, we pray for our kids each and every Sunday that if this generation can't do their job, that this next generation will rise up and let the glory of God not let culture kill what God is doing in our community. Let's look at verse 1 and kind of make some sense out of it. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. What does that mean? This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. A lot of times in the Bible, there's two or three different meanings. The meanings are the actual words are actually words, but there's also some other subliminal messages or other things. And a lot of times the Bible explains itself. So we need to look to Revelation chapter 1 to understand what we're seeing here. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus is walking and speaking. He is the one walking and speaking. And we read that in Revelation chapter 1. He is the one that holds the stars in his right hand and is walking among the gold lampstands. But what do those mean? Revelation 1 verse 20 explains that. Here's what it says. The meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw is my, in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the lampstands are the seven churches. When it says angel, it really means messenger. If you look at the Greek, it means messenger. This is the messenger, the one that sends it. And he says, blessed are those who are the messenger. Now, that's kind of as much as we can put into that first chapter without getting too deep. And I want to talk about the second next two verses. Do you know what? Even when you make mistakes in life, even when you're against God, even when you live an anti-Christ life, even as a Christian, do you know what? 
God still gives you encouragement and says, you're doing a lot of things good. Just realize that's holding you back. And in verse 2 and 3, Jesus acknowledges the church in Ephesus' success. And here's what he writes. I know all the things you do. I have seen the hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they are not. And you have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Here, Jesus tells the church, you guys are doing some good things. And they're healthy things. And they're, they're going to grow you as, as, as a person closer to God. He acknowledges their success. The Ephesian church, the Christians in this church, were not engaging in the worldly sins and the sexual immorality. They were not participating in the things of the culture. They were actually standing up. The church hadn't rejected the teaching of Jesus. The Ephesians were, had right and sound doctrine. They didn't bear with evil. They tested the teacher's teaching and made sure it was the actual very word of God. They were patient, enduring. They were holding fast to faith. And they were not giving up on God when they faced trials and difficulty. You know what happens when we as a community face trials? Christians by themselves fall victim and get into a dark hole. But together when we face our trials, we actually have solace and peace and hope because the church comes together. Some people judge their struggle, but most of the time we just want to get people out of that hole and into a place of, of healthiness. And that's what we see here. Jesus is, is blessing them and saying, I know there are successes in this church. The church in Ephesus lived in the truth of who God was. They didn't, crave the, they didn't cave into sin and they didn't give up on God. They even were against this group of people called the Nicolotians. There's not much evidence of what they were. It could have been a food situation, but whatever it was, it was a heretical teaching, which was an opposite of God. And they were saying, this is against what you're, you guys are rejecting that, which is good. Here's the last thing I would say about verse 2 and 3. If you went to this church today in Ventura County, you would be very pleased with this church. This would be a very powerful church in Ventura County. You would be a very happy member of Ephesus. If you've ever read the book of Ephesians, if you understand that book at all, do you know what the letter was written for? To equip the saints. That means that you, it, there's no better discipleship book in the Bible, in my opinion, than Ephesians because it teaches us how to be equipped as saints. This church was good. It had good doctrine, good teaching. It had good discipleship programs and kids' ministries, and there were all kinds of things happening. But it says at the end, not everything was good. They lacked one thing. Here's what verse 4 says. But I have, I have a complaint against you. You don't love me anymore or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolotians just as I do. Here we see these dark, depressing words. I have a complaint against you. When I wake up on Sundays, when I wake up even on Mondays, my biggest fear is I'm going to get an email from someone saying, I have a complaint against your teaching, Jeff. You have no idea what the heck you're doing. I caught that last word for you. I was told you can't say hell in church anymore, so I didn't say... I have this complaint. You know, I don't know about you, but when my dad, up until like six or seven years ago, I finally, I guess, matured. But when my dad would call, my, my stomach would kind of churn a little bit like, oh, man, what did I do? What's he going to complain about now? What did I do now, right? And my kids probably do the same thing. Hopefully not, but that's probably what happens. Or you think about a boss calling. Or if my wife calls in an irregular time, then when she doesn't call, I'm like, uh-oh, something's wrong. Right? And here we see this complaint. He goes, I got a complaint against you. And it's chilling, chilling words. There's a problem. This church has abandoned their first love. God has become a to-do list. You know how we have that honey-do list or that wifey-do list? I don't know if they do a wifey-do list, but my wife has a lot of wifey-do lists that I get her to do. And she's great for, at doing them. But God has become this to-do list. I went to church, check. I put some money in the offering, check. I said hi to someone, check. Someone I didn't like, check, so I'm loving my enemies. <laughs> and it's a checklist. And Jesus is saying, when did I become a checklist in your life? 
When did church become about this little Bible that's in a box and I'm just going to keep you in the box and I'm never going to open you up and let you out? I'm just going to check off little boxes and I'm going to have streaks in my phone and I'm not going to do anything because I'm not really in love with you. To Christians, Christianity is not a checklist. It's not about doing a few things to make your life right. Following Jesus is not following a life of rules. That would be boring. Listen, I feel like I have a decent relationship with Christ and my life is not boring in Christ at all. If anything, it's the other side. It's dynamic and powerful and amazing. There's good things that happen. There's sad things that happen. And I don't even know what I would do back 15 or 20 years ago when my struggles would come and, and now I get to go to God. Back then, I don't know who I'd go to. My brother, my sister, my dad. They got their own problems. God wants to engage our problems. Our relationship with God should be loving, thriving, active. That's what a relationship is. When your marriage is good or your boyfriend-girlfriend relationship is good, it's because there's action. There's, there's ebb and flow. That's what God wants, and that's what we see here. Listen to what Matthew 22 says. A religious expert, like a legal religious expert, comes to challenge Jesus, and he wants to ask him about what's the most important thing, and he's trying to corner him. And here's what he says. One of them, a religious expert, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the laws of Moses? So now he's like, is it the Ten Commandments, which is the most important one? Or is it the 634 commandments in Leviticus, which is the most important one? And so he's trying to legally pinhole him into this one place. And here's what Jesus writes. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Secondly, second and equally important. What does that mean, by the way? Equally important. What does that mean? Same, same? All right. Just letting you, just making sure. Secondly, same, same, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Now we come to this. And if you've been a Christian, you've heard this over and over your whole life. But everything kind of pigeonholes or pinpoints into this precise faith. There is two commands. Put God first above everything and love him with an open heart and dig your life into that relationship. And then love others as you love yourself. How much do you love yourself? We, we love ourselves a lot. That's why we put a lot of energy into what we are trying to do in life. How much we eat, what we look like, how we wear, how we do our hair, how we look in our cars. We put a lot of energy and it says love others as yourself. If I'm in a marriage, which I am, and if you're in a marriage, which some of you are, and your spouse says, I love everything that you do for me. I want you to keep doing those duties. I just don't love you. That's not really a marriage that anybody wants to be in. Keep doing all the good things, pay the bills, do the laundry, do whatever you're doing, but realize that I don't love you. Over time, that fails because now it's just a, a, a partnership. And over time, if there's no love, that partnership fails. And that's what Jesus is communicating to the church. Our, our, we should act on the basis of love. Jesus is telling the Ephesians, you have lost that loving feeling. Anybody know that one? Anybody remember the 70s? I'd say the 60s, but none of you alive remember the 60s. I know that for sure. Jesus is communicating that they have lost that loving feeling, that initial love. Think about that first time that you were in love or when you met that special someone, how that loving feeling drove you to do crazy stuff. I happened to be in Modesto today and wanted to say hi. Really? I've never wanted to stop in Modesto ever once in my life. If you're from Modesto online, God bless you. If you're from Modesto, we love Modesto. Jesus is telling this church the fire's gone, their love has grown cold, they're distant, and they're not in this right relationship with God. There's no love in their actions. They're doing all these good things, but it's just a checklist, and they're really not growing in their loving relationship. You're just growing in the knowledge of God. That's not enough. It's not about the knowledge of God. I talk to pastors every year and weekly, and they don't like when I say this. And I don't know if I'm right, but the text says love God first and love others. It doesn't say grow in knowledge, so a deeper understanding, so that I have this seminary mindset. That's all good, but it doesn't necessarily equate for me to be in a loving relationship. 
Our actions should be the outflow of love. My love for my wife when she tells me, can you go get me some coffee and water? And we have had the most frigid winter of all times in Camarillo history the last couple nights, right? I mean, it's 60 degrees. We've got our fireplaces on. We've got our heater on. I mean, I'm walking around with a parka, right? And because I love my wife, I'm going to go in that frigid cold and get her a cup of coffee. It's out of the outflow of love, right? Trying to start the new year with positive things towards my family this year, so working hard on that. The reason we struggle with our relationship with God, so if you're here today and you're like, I don't have that, Jeff, is because you're probably not in love with God. You got to learn to love God. For the first time or the 500th time, you got to learn to love God and make him everything. We as humans have a tendency to seek God and we hear a message like this week or how about last week? Dustin did a great job last week. Didn't he do a good job? I got a chance to listen to it on the way home from Mexico. We are so gifted with so many great teachers, Dustin and Jeremy and Jeff Barnett and Randy. We just got a lot of good teachers and we're blessed. And hopefully at some point we're going to love God so much that God is going to allow us to expand. And we want to plant more churches and put these pastors in other churches and grow the kingdom of God. And I want to congratulate Dustin. He did an awesome job. Here's what Proverbs says. It says, we will hear a message like this and it will impact us for three hours or three days or three weeks or three months. But over time, just like the fitness craze will end January 28th or 29th, we tend to let God minimize and we put him back in the box and go, that was really fun for a little while. Let's put him shiny back into the box because I don't really want to get into that deeper relationship. Listen to what Proverbs says. The Proverbs is a place of wisdom. It says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it's always the way of death. We start out really good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this great fitness body. By the time February comes around, I'm going to drop 30 pounds and I'm going to be this Hulkamania running wild. <laughs> and about February or about January 6th, I'm like, I can't get up again. <laughs> it's 9.30 in the morning. Are you kidding me? A Dutch jewelry collector comes into Manhattan, New York. And a guy named Mr. Winston, who owns this fine establishment, finds out that this Dutch jewelry collector is looking for this specific diamond. And Mr. Winston calls him and says, look it, I've got this beautiful diamond that will complete your collection. If you come tomorrow, I will show it and I guarantee you, you'll want it. So the Dutch collector says, sure, I'll come. So he makes that appointment. The next day he shows up and walks into this high-end jewelry establishment. Mr. Winston comes in and says, welcome, I'm grateful that you're here. He goes, this is my best salesperson. I'm going to sit you down with them. And he just kind of steps back and lets the salesperson do the work. The salesperson gets out and starts communicating. He brings out this beautiful diamond. It's one of a kind. And he starts talking about the four C's of diamond purchasing. Do you guys know them? I heard a couple of different ones. No credit, lots of credit, some credit, need credit. <laughs> That's not the four C's I was thinking, but it was really funny. And then they said the fifth one is Zubik, uh, cubic zirconia. That's the five, fifth one when you don't have no credit. But he starts talking about the carrot, the number one thing that we look at. How big is that rock? And he starts talking about the color and, 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 and the cut and the clarity, all these things that if you've ever shopped, mine usually are down in that lower section down there. And what happens about three or four minutes into this pitch, the salesperson knows so much about this diamond. The collector gets up and says, thank you, but no thank you. And he starts walking out. He starts walking out and, he, and Mr. Winston, the owner of the shop, says, hey, wait, wait, wait. Give me an opportunity for me myself to give you uh, a pitch. Let me just tell you what I know about the diamond. And the guy goes, okay. And he comes back to the seat. And Mr. Winston starts telling him about the person who excavated it and where it was taken, the origin. And he started talking about the designer and the guy that cut him and how they talked together. And they were sharing pictures about how he wanted it cut and the design and the beauty. And he started telling it with passion how radiant this looked. And if you put it in the right light, it shined and looked like uh, the, 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 you know, the emerald of the lost ark. Is that even something? <laughs> was it Raiders of the Lost Ark? I don't know what it is. 
But you start looking at this diamond, and he starts with passion sharing this diamond. And instantly, the guy says, I'll take it. And as they're wrapping it up, and they're doing these $100,000 exchanges, the collector says, how come when the salesperson was telling me, he goes, I didn't want it. And when you started to tell me, he goes, I took it. And he says, my salesperson is better than anybody in the United States about knowing about diamonds. But I love this diamond, and I love my job, and I have passion for that. And when you have passion, it spills over into other people's lives. And that's what Jesus is talking about to this church. You don't have passion, and it's not spilling over to your lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is called the love chapter. Here's what it says. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of the angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have nothing to gain. Another translation says I would be bankrupt. Jesus is saying you got to love. You can do all these beautiful things, but if there's no love, it's meaningless. Love is the greatest power on, in the universe. It's all powerful. It's unstoppable. It's, full, uh, it's unfailing. It's full of grace and mercy. God's love and the love from God is it. And if you're looking for something in your life, that's what we come to. And that's what we celebrate at Journey. Corinthians chapter 13 at the very end. We read the beginning. Here's what the end says. This is the love chapter. Three things will last with it forever. Your faith will last forever. Your hope in that faith will last forever. And love will last forever. And it says the greatest of these is love. This is read at weddings all the time as you're marrying to. Faith, hope, and love, but love is the strongest. Colossians chapter 3, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Jesus is saying, you got to come back to your love. Repent of your ways, of your lifeless, loveless Christian life, and bring love back into the mix. When you start loving God and you start doing these programs, the outflow will be even greater than the programs that you have in Ephesus. Now, I got about seven minutes before I have to get off stage. Not technically, but to be polite to you and to the worship band. And I want to close with the value. We talked about a bunch of values. Here's what the value is, if you forgot. A person's principle or standard of behavior. One's judgment of what is important. Here's what we're talking about. Journey has some values. And this message really syncs up well with one of our values. And that value is to have a kingdom mind approach. Kingdom mindset. Putting the kingdom of God first. That's the approach. And it makes really good sense with this church. you got to put God above everything else. You put him first. We are a church that is a kingdom-based church, which is we are not trying to build Journey the Church as the greatest church in Ventura County history. We don't care about that. We're trying to build Christians that go out into the world and impact other people for, the, for their life in Jesus Christ. We just went down to Mexico and spent thousands of dollars to churches in Mexico, and we went to four or three churches, and we jam-packed them. They were larger services than they'd ever had because we are trying to grow the kingdom of God, not Journey the Church. If journey shrinks but churches in, in California grow, we are victorious. That's not, we're not the horde, you guys. And so we are a kingdom-based church. And in that kingdom-based church, remember, the, the Ephesian church is being preached. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's the premise. Kingdom-minded, loving God first. During the days of Jesus' life when he was walking on the earth, the most prominent superpower in the world was the Roman Empire. In their heyday, it was the largest kingdom in all of the civilization. If you look in this area, and it actually goes below, the Roman Empire took over all of the Mediterranean, and that was the center of the universe back in the day. And Caesar constantly sent his armies to take new territory. His whole job was, we're going to take new territory. We're going to take over Ventura County, Santa Barbara County, L.A. County. If Caesar was here, he wanted to take all of California, Mexico, and Canada. That's, that was his goal. When a new territory came under Roman control, the Romans would use force to make sure the territory looked like Rome as much as possible. 
They would build Roman temples, institute Roman religion, which involved worshiping Caesar, and they would institute education, art, and culture. They even built Roman baths. When we went to Israel, we visited a Roman bath area that was built in between uh, uh, Galilee and Jerusalem. There was this Roman bath. And they would do this to make everything, like we said, like Roman territory. The question is why? Here's a picture of Ephesus today. This is Ephesus today. It was taken about two years ago by a friend of mine that runs a tour company. Here's a picture of ancient Rome. Looks very similar because the Romans took over and they made that kingdom. Why? They did that so whenever Caesar showed up, it looked like Rome. The kingdom remind they changed the culture to reflect the original kingdom. That's what Christ wants to do in our life. When he comes back and when he's, when he's communicating to the church of Ephesus, he's like, I want you to reflect heaven. I want you to reflect what my kingdom looks like in your life in your church, in your family, I want you to reflect. And he's coming back and trying to shape our culture and our life so that it reflects the heavenly kingdom. Does that make sense? Here's what Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. If you know the Roman culture, they were about big parties, and they would party for weeks and weeks on end, and Caesar would have these galas that would last forever, and it was about eating and drinking. But here he says it's not about eating and drinking, but of righteousness. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and the joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is found in one person. Today, for us, Christian, us Christians today, that person is called the Holy Spirit. Listen to the persons and how they work. One person... God the Father created heaven and earth. Another person, Jesus Christ, saved heaven and earth. And today, Christians, 2019, we have one person called the Holy Spirit that is to engage us in a heavenly way so that our life resembles heaven today. One person is the essence of who we are in our relationship with God. And that same Holy Spirit that was with David and Joseph and John the Baptist, the one Holy Spirit that loves you and adores you beyond description, that same Holy Spirit that we sing, let us become more aware of your presence, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is here today and wants to remind you. Yeah, that's good. The same one that raised Jesus and led Jesus and did a bunch of work is here today. And he's challenging you. Follow me. Put aside what you believe and follow me. Open up some new territory and let Jesus take new territory over like what Caesar did. In Luke chapter 17, it said, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus. So religious experts against Jesus are like, hey, Tell us about the kingdom of God. We want to know about the kingdom of God. It says, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God cannot be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or, over, or it's over here, it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among them. And Jesus was saying, I am there. Today, Jesus is in heaven, and we have the Holy Spirit that's saying, I'm here. And I'm here to minister to you. And if you allow yourself to open up and let the Holy Spirit take new territory in your life, you will have a different relationship with God. It will teach you to be kingdom-minded, and it will also show you how to love God and love other people. Some of us aren't gifted at loving other people. Actually, other people suck sometimes. Can you say that, by the way? Amen to that? Sorry, God, if we're not supposed to say that. But other people are hard to love. You know, sometimes it's hard to love our family members, our neighbors, people at church. But God, in his beautiful Holy Spirit, can allow us to love other people. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things which should be added. How do we seek God today? And how are you going to get that passionate love? Me and my sister were talking in Mexico. And she was like, Jeff, you got a beautiful passion with love. And I'm like, Kim, it's because you taught me that. And you know what? I've been trying to give that to my kids, to my family, to my father-in-law, my brother, and to everybody in church. The passion. When you truly love God, 
Christianity is easy. Because even as you go through death and destruction and divorce and chaos in your personal life, the love of God overpowers all of that. And you're like, I can do anything with you, Jesus Christ. Here's what Revelations 2, 7 says. It's the final verse. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the church. If you're here today, listen to what the Spirit is telling you. This message to the church is putting God first and put that love first. And the message that we said, be kingdom-minded. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. I want to sum this up. If you're new here today, this is your first time here, I didn't cry for like 46 minutes, which is a miracle by God. But if you're new here today or if you're new in faith or you don't know God, here's the sum up. Before I knew God, I didn't know how to love people. I didn't know how to love myself. I didn't know how to love other people. Today, I have a better idea. And the more I press into the love of God, the more I can press into the love of my family and of my friends and of the church. You got to love God and you got to learn to love other people. And you do that by keeping God first. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for who you are and that the revelation that you spoke. I pray those that have kind of let their mind drift over the last few minutes, I pray that you bring them together right now with the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Bible speaks boldly to them and that the words were spoken that were from God will minister to them right now. And I pray that this new year will be better than ever. And if there's someone here who's distant from God or doesn't know God or feels like they don't have that passion and they want to reconnect or recommit or maybe say yes to God for the first time, if that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. The Bible says you died and rose again for me. I don't understand it, but I want to know more about it. And I accept that. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to walk all the days of my life with you. Let me be victorious in who you are. We love you, King Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.